a dose of deception with the queens of queens, Shannon and Emily. In our podcast, we'll be discussing murders, missing persons cases, mysteries, and a whole lot of conspiracy theories. So stay tuned for the wild ride. Hey queens, <laughs> welcome back to Dose of Deception. We are so excited to get back to talking to you guys every week. Before we get into it, we're just going to explain the premise of our show in case you're a new listener. Each week, Emily comes in with a true crime topic, whether it be a unsolved murder or a missing persons case. And I come in in the second half with a conspiracy theory that I'd like to talk about and we theorize about it. So that's our show. And we hope you stick around for this crazy ride. Now, quickly, before we get into our cases for this week, we just want to promote our different social media accounts. Our Instagram account is at Dose of Deception. And we also have a Facebook group where you can engage with us and other listeners. And that is also at Dose of Deception. So, Emily, what are we talking about today? So today, we're going to talk about the disappearance of Tara Calico. Mm, Have you ever heard of her? Of course not. Okay. (laughs) Let's get into it. Tara Calico was born on February 28th, 1969. Now, her disappearance was when she was 19 years old. So Mm -hmm. it was on September 20th, 1988. She disappeared very close to her own home uh, in New Mexico. Mm. Now, on this day, Tara left her home at 9.30 a.m. to go on a morning bike ride, which is not unusual for her because every day she would go on a bike ride. And she always rode along New Mexico State Road 47. Now, her mother used to go with her every day as well. However, um, her mother's name is Patty Dole. She had actually stopped riding recently because she felt unsafe. Um, She did believe that there was a motorist following them every time that they rode a bike. And so a lot of people jumped down her throat right away and they were like, why did you let um, Tara continue going alone on the bike rides if you felt like someone was following you? Yeah. However, what most people don't know um, is that Tara was very independent. Um, She was only 19 years old, but she did know how to protect herself and she was very aware of her surroundings Mm -hmm. so patty knew she was a tough girl she knew she could yeah find help or find safety if anything so you can't really blame her for that yeah i mean hindsight is 2020 yeah so now looking back obviously she's gonna think that she should have done something but in that moment i think a lot of people would have made the same decision exactly now on the morning of her disappearance before leaving for her bike ride tara jokingly told her mother Um, if I don't come back before noon, go looking for me. Which is so creepy when you think about it now. Stuff like that always happens. Always, right? And it's so creepy. Um, and unfortunately, that was the last interaction that she would ever have with her daughter. Mm. Now, Tara had scheduled a a tennis match. They they were going on a date, her and her boyfriend. Okay. Um, and that was for, scheduled for 12.30pm that day. So Mm -hmm. she left her bike ride at 9.30, and she knew she didn't give herself enough time. So at first, when she didn't show up for, um, her tennis match... They just thought, oh, okay, whatever. She she left really late. She's probably going to get here. Mm-hmm. However, so Patty didn't initially go out looking for her. But once noon hit and Tara did not arrive home, Patty drove along the usual bike route that Tara took, and she did not find her. So immediately she calls the police, concerned. Um, however, the p- police said she's 19 years old. She's probably just out. She'll come home later. So they dismissed her and brushed her off for a little bit. Um because she was legally, legally an adult, and they just assumed that she maybe wanted to stay out extra or whatever. Mm-hmm. However, Patty said, no, like, she always comes home this time. She's not doing that. So I feel like this is frustrating. I do understand where they're coming from, because she is 19. But it's not like she was going out at night with friends, and she just, like, got hung up. Mm-hmm. She's, like, alone on a bike ride. So especially that her mother drove along the route she goes every day and didn't yeah. find her. I feel like since the the first few hours are so, you know, important. Crucial, yeah. yeah. They could have actually done something. Yeah, 100%. I do see where they're coming from. 
just because of her age and but she did have definitive plans too. Exactly. So she once I eating. knew she was a hundred percent supposed to be doing something, I wouldn't assume that she just decided to skip out on it. Exactly. Now Tara's boyfriend also became concerned when she didn't show up. Um and so he went to her house to help Patty and Tara's stepfather John search for her. Now during the search they stumbled across a few different groups of people, some of them sketchy. Mm. So the first group they came across was a group of construction workers who said that they had been grabbing lunch during the time Tara had been riding her bike. Um, so they didn't see her. Now, at first I was just like, that's sketchy. However, they did cooperate with the police and the family, and it turns out it was just bad timing, and they actually just were out getting lunch um, when Tara was passing by. Yeah, and if it was closer to the end, like 12, 1230 of her route, that would be around lunchtime. It does add up. Exactly. Um, Patty also came across a dirty white or gray, it was like a bluish gray, I guess, mm-hmm. um, truck at a nearby campground with a camper on the back and three men standing outside of it drinking beer. These men denied seeing Tara. However, unlike the construction workers, they were very defensive against Patty mm. and also um, just defensive against everyone who was asking questions. Mm-hmm. So Patty, she felt kind of weird around them. She sensed something was off. So she went back to the house. She got John and Tara's boyfriend. And then she went back to these men, and the men were extra defensive once they came. Um, she said that they formed a kind of barricade around the truck, especially the camper in the back, which is so mm. sketchy. Um, they also told the same story, except originally they told Patty that they had been there since 11 a.m., and they never saw Tara. However, once they once she brought John and the boyfriend, um, their story changed, and they said they had actually been there since 11.30. So I, I'm, as much as that could have been a mistake, yeah, the fact that like it felt like they were planning what to say yeah it makes it a little it makes it seem like they originally said 11 o'clock they knew that they had that time in between before they came back yeah so they all gathered together and was like we need to get our story all together and lined up now also remember their truck okay just because that's a big deal in this case (laughs) okay so a few hours later already at 4 30 so i know it's only four hours but that's crucial timing Mm -hmm. Um, Patty and a police officer went back to the JFK campgrounds, and the three men with the truck were still there. Um, however, they drove to, like, a different area of the campground, and they were just still parked there, standing outside their vehicle. Okay. So, initially, I was like, okay, maybe they didn't do it, because I would want to get right out of there if you just kidnapped someone. Yeah. But, I don't know. Now, when searching for Tara, police found pieces of her Sony Walkman and a cassette tape that she was listening to music on when she was riding. Um, and they were found along the bike route. And her mother, Patty, she really believes that Tara dropped these to, to mark her trail and notify police that she was in danger. I, possible, she could, yeah. Yeah, it's possible. She could have just dropped it, you know, in a, in a scuffle. Mm-hmm. But her mother, obviously her mother's going to hold out hope, so she wants to believe that she was trying to warn people. I think that does make sense. I think so, too. Especially if, by how long it takes that bike route, it's definitely long. So it might have been sparked for her to put something there to indicate this is where something happened to me or this is where you need to be looking because it was probably a long enough route that it would take a while to search the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, Interestingly, numerous eyewitness accounts um, confirmed that Tara had been riding along the road, um, but strangely, her bicycle was never discovered. And to this day, not even a piece of her bicycle or anything has been found. That's weird. That's so weird. Because you think she would have been grabbed and taken somewhere, not with a bike. I know, it's really sketchy. And also, her bike was very distinct. It was, like, this bright pink, like, you could tell it was her bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, all the eyewitnesses that saw it confirmed that it was that bike. Mm. So, it's kind of weird that you didn't find anything from the bicycle. That is odd. It's very weird. Um, four hunters saw a tower riding her bike and noticed a light-colored pickup truck following her. 
At first, they thought nothing of it and believed that it was her father or someone looking out for her as she rode. However, the man in the vehicle that they saw, they said that the way he was looking at Tara was not like a father at all. Mm -hmm. It was just creepy and scary. Yeah. So they found it to be suspicious, and that's why they remembered the incident. Um, And also, their their truck was similar to one that Patty saw the three men standing around. So that's... I mean... Raises red flags there. <laughs> a lot. Right now, that's who I'm on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my thing, that's that's how I started, and now it changed to, like, so many different things. Okay. So I don't even know what to think. Now, another eyewitness, who is my favorite eyewitness, because he has such a good memory. Oh, It's insane. Okay. So his name is Ishmael De La Rosa. Now, Ishmael was driving on Highway 47, which was the route she took. And he was getting frustrated because there was a truck in front of him driving very slowly, and he had an appointment at the mm. vet that day. Okay. Wonder whose truck it is. <laughs> <laughs> now, the truck was a 1950s Ford truck, uh, and it was a dirty white-gray color. Mm. Ishmael remembers seeing a dark figure run from the side of the road and jump in the truck. Now, he initially thought it was a dog by the way they were running, but later he saw that the truck was following a girl on a pink bike. Mm. And initially, like the hunters, he believes it also was the girl's father or somebody looking out for her. However, once he drove past... Because the truck was driving very slow, like, clearly going slower than the bike. And once Ishmael came on the side of the truck to pass it, he realized that this probably was not the girl's father by the way he was staring at her. Uh, Yeah, and like we were saying, um, I feel like because the eyewitnesses were men, it's a very different experience. Because me, if I see any truck following a young girl, I would be following the truck for permanently. If I see anyone... Is follow a girl for more than half a block. Me too. <laughs> I'm, like, keeping an eye out for it. Yeah, me so too. So if I was someone behind that truck and I saw the girl, I would follow it for miles. Yeah, me too. I don't understand why I anybody mean, would think it was a father. I think it's just that women are hyper aware yeah. of that kind of situation. And men, like, usually aren't put in that situation so they don't think about it too often. Yeah. So like I said, Ishmael has a very good memory uh, he describes the guy driving the truck as having bright red hair, a tan hat, also very short hair, and a clean-cut face. Um, he also says that the man had a scar on his left eye. Like, to remember that is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, going from his eye to his temple. So when Ishmael looked on the back of the camper, um, which was on the back of the truck, mm-hmm. he noticed about six khaki shirts hanging in the truck, looking like they were freshly steamed and pressed. Uh, he watched over the girl on the bike, but once he came across... So, he was he was initially going to follow it the whole time. Mm-hmm. But once they were kept driving on um, Highway 47, he noticed on the side of the road there were more groups of people. And so, he assumed, there's enough people here, it's public, the girl will be okay. Yeah. And he drove away. Now, he regrets this so badly. And until the day he died, Ishmael actually drove around daily looking for the driver because he felt so guilty and responsible for what happened. That's to crazy. That's yeah. so sad. It is really sad. Now, if anything, even though he didn't solve it and even though he wasn't able to prevent it, I'm sure the information he gave got them as close as they possibly can be to solving it. Yeah, but here's the thing. Ishmael, no, he saw the pickup truck and driver, he was convinced, a few months later after Tara went missing, and he went right to the Valencia police. However, the police did not treat Ishmael with respect of any kind, and they brushed it off, and they said, no, it's not her, you're fine. Oh, come on. So he did actively try, like, he he was driving, he looked next to him, he said, that's the driver, the same scar, same hair, the same um, truck. They were like, no, it's not. That's so stupid. I know, they just brushed him off. Like, even if it's not, look into it. A hundred percent. If I was him, I would have followed him everywhere. Me too. That is so frustrating, too, because in that moment, he's probably thinking, 
oh, I can finally rest easy a little bit. I finally figured it out. I finally brought this, I mean, not case to a close, but you know what I mean? Found yeah. some closure for everybody. And then to be brushed off. That's yep. so frustrating. So they didn't even look into that. So it could have been. Maybe it wasn't, but it could have been. It probably was. I know. If he had enough memory in the first place to remember he remembered what so happened that day, on the initial day it happened, the image of that guy is probably so pressed into his brain that I probably was him. Now, another eyewitness was named Baron Freeman. Um, he saw Tara's pink bike and the white-gray 1950s Ford truck following her as well. Mm-hmm. At first, he, of course, he also thought this was her dad. Oh, my God. I don't get it. I really <laughs> I don't, don't get, get it. it. Um, but he also realized quickly that she was in danger. So he tried memorizing the license plate, but he could only mm. remember a few of the numbers when he eventually told police about it. Um, and he, he, so he describes himself as an overthinker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he does not act on impulse. He thinks through everything too much where he doesn't do anything in the situation. That's fair. So he was plan. He did plan on pulling over to the side of the road and asking Tara if she needed help. However, he changed his mind last minute because he assumed she would think he was out hurt, like going to hurt her, mm-hmm. get freaked out, and run away and get even more in danger. Yeah. So instead, he slowed down enough for Tara to pass him on her bike, and he said that her facial expression did not indicate that she felt danger at all. Mm. So he continued driving. Now, a few minutes later, it started downpouring, and so he was going to go back and go pick up Tara to see if she wanted to ride home. Mm-hmm. However, um, he felt like maybe the be- the vehicle, after all, was somebody that Tara knew, so maybe they were going to get her in the car and drive her back safely. Yeah. So just like Ishmael, he regrets until the day he dies that he didn't go back. Yeah. I mean, you can't really blame him for that. A lot of people aren't going to assume worst case scenario yeah. when they see something like that. So you can't really blame him for thinking that, oh, well, what are the odds that that would be happening right in front of me? Exactly. Now, Barron also tried telling the police this multiple times, but he was shot down for nearly a year before they finally listened to him. And when I get into more of the police mm-hmm. um, behind it, maybe you'll you know change your mind a little about okay. what was going on here. But they did shut him down, which is very suspicious to me. Very. Um, he also got in touch with Patty, which is um, Tara's mom. Mm-hmm. And he confessed his guilt because he said he couldn't sleep, he couldn't do anything, knowing that he didn't turn around to get her. Yeah. Um, but Tara's mother told him not to let the guilt eat at him because, like I said earlier, Tara's a very independent person. And since she was a woman and she was taught to either ignore people offering to help or run, um, she would have not accepted his help anyway. That's true. So, her, um, Tara's mom said, you know, she probably would have ended up in the same situation. Yeah. So don't feel so bad about it. Another woman who Tara knew, she actually grew up with her, I think. They went to the same school together. Okay. But she wishes to remain anonymous. And she said she saw Tara riding her bike while she was in her own car driving to school. She noticed the truck and said that two men in it gave her dirty looks when she cut in front of them. After Tara went missing, detective, detectives asked this woman if she could pick out the faces of the men she saw from a police lineup... And she picked out one photo who she later found out was a man by the name of Lawrence Romero Jr. Okay. Now, Lawrence Romero Jr. was the son of Lawrence Romero Sr., who was the sheriff on the Valencia County Police Department. Okay, well, all right. (laughs) I see where this is going. (laughs) Yes. And he had the bright red hair, Uh which matches Ishmael's description of him. Mm Mm-hmm. So, it's a little sketched to me. Very. And of course, it just so happens to be the son of him. Right? <laughs> of course. So no wonder they ignored it for a year. 100%. They didn't really probably want anything to yeah. be found. Or if they knew what happened, they were covering it up. Mm-hmm. 
So what makes this case stand out from others? Because initially, once I read that, I was like, okay, it's probably the police cover-up. Yeah. However, um, this case stands out and irks people so much because there is a disturbing Polaroid picture taking of two young unidentified people. And this picture was discovered in June 1989, only a year after she went missing. Mm-hmm. So on June 15th, 1989, a Polaroid photograph of the two young people, they were bound and gagged with black duct tape, it was found on the floor of a parking lot in Port St. Joe, Florida, which was 1,500 miles from where Tara went missing in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. The photo was found right where a white Toyota cargo van, which is like the white creeper vans, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> had been parked earlier that day. And the woman who found the photo recalls a man in his 30s, early 30s, uh, with a mustache, driving the white van, but unfortunately police were never able to find the van or identify the man, despite putting up multiple roadblocks to try and stop mm-hmm. any vans that looked um, similar. Mm-hmm. So do you think it looks like her? I couldn't tell. I think it does look like her, and I would say it's a more than 50% shot that it is her, but it's not like I looked at that photo and was 100%, that's her. Exactly. It's hard to tell. Because when you look at a photo of her just like in regular life with her hair done her yeah. her mouth is covered here it's hard to mm-hmm. see it's similar and they have some similar features i said that i think they sh- they both had long noses in the photo so to me their nose looked the same their eyebrows look the same yeah so there is a couple of features that i think look similar enough that i can understand why the family's 100% that that's her yeah so i do th- i would if someone told me that that's a picture of the same people i would believe it if i didn't know the case and you just asked me if these are the same people i would too yeah so it's not a hundred percent, but I can definitely see why people think it is. We will also put up the pictures, because there's three pictures here. Mm-hmm. We'll upload them on Facebook um, and Instagram, mm-hmm. so that you guys can tell us what you think as well. Yeah. So you can be more involved with it. Now, this also makes me wonder, um, if this happened today, I feel like, because they would have CCTV footage, but also, maybe not, because a lot of places, even now, it's so grainy, and, I know. and some of them just say, oh, the cameras don't even work, we just have it there because we need it. Because a lot of... A lot of police departments, I feel, not just police departments, but I feel like a lot of cameras and things that are done, whether it be at traffic stops or anywhere, are kind of there to scare you into doing the right thing. Even if they're not working, they're just there to prevent you from doing it in the first place because you think you're going to get caught if you are or aren't. Yeah. So I sometimes that those don't always end up reliable. Yeah, they don't. So this type of film uh, in a photograph, police confirmed that it was taken after May 1989 because I'm assuming mm. that's when the film was released, so it, yeah. it couldn't have been taken before that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it was left on the floor of a parking lot um, in June 1989 makes me believe that it was strategically placed there. I don't think it was just dropped there. What? Well, what would be the strategy behind it? Uh, I don't know. I think the person who took it wanted it to be found, but I don't know why. Or maybe someone in the photo was able to get a hold of it maybe and drop it yeah so whoever dropped it there because i don't think a suspect yeah i don't think a suspect would at that point they would have been getting away with it for however long yeah. now you don't want to get caught at that point so maybe somebody whether it be a victim somebody that's involved with it that doesn't want to be involved in it yeah. anymore was able to drop it there so that they could leave a hint for somebody to catch on to what was happening yeah and despite having what seems like a break in the case, or at least in some case, because either mm-hmm. way, these are still two people. Oh, yeah. Whether it's Tara or yeah. not, that's still something to help with someone. Yeah. Um, however, authorities could not trace the photograph back to its origin. Mm. So as soon as the photo was released, many people saw the resemblance to the girl in the photo and Tara. 
Even Tara's mother was convinced that it was her in the photo. And she confirmed that the scar on the girl's leg was identical to one that Tara had gotten in a car accident. So... See, the fact that the mom is so convinced that it's her makes me basically 100% believe that it's her. Because your mom's gonna know what you look like more than anybody else. And also... What are the odds that you just so happen to have the scar at almost the exact same place? Yeah, and I mean, the police brushed it off as, oh, she wants her to be alive, that's her mother. I mean, yeah, sure, obviously you're gonna hold on to any hope, but she's still gonna know she has a scar on this leg in this spot. She can't make that up. Now, even more creepy, yet, you know, helpful in Mm -hmm. determining the girl's identity, there was a copy of V.C. Andrews' My Sweet Audrina lying next to the young woman in the photo, and a Patty said that that is Tara's favorite novel as well. So, I mean, oh. that that book was popular during that time, so I'm mm-hmm. assuming a lot of people had it, but it is kind of sketchy that it just happens to be her favorite book at the time, and it's right next to her in the picture. Yeah. It's weird. That's a little too coincidental to actually be a coincidence. The FBI also analyzed the photo, but the results came back inconclusive, so the identity of the young woman was never confirmed. Nobody could figure out also, because like I said, there was a young boy in the photo. Mm-hmm. Nobody could figure out who it was until the relatives of a boy named Michael Henley came forward, believing that this was their, um, the little boy in the photo. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, Michael had also disappeared from New Mexico in April mm. 1988, which is the same year that Tara went missing. Mm. Um, so this makes me um, inclined to believe that it is Tara in the photo, possibly, because Michael had disappeared just four months before her in the same state. And the photograph was taken about a year later, so that timeline makes sense to me. Yeah, it does add up. And also, this kind of gives me, like, human trafficking vibes with uh, uh, taking people from the same area. Yeah. that The fact that it might be him in the photo yeah. gives more credit to it possibly being Tara, 100%. And like Patty, Michael's own mother was very certain that he was the boy in the picture. Yeah. However, unfortunately, a year later, in June 1990... Uh, Michael's remains were found 75 miles from where Tara was last seen. So it it could have been him still mm-hmm. in the picture, and then he could have just they could have just killed him. But I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah, it does kind of discredit. I mean, I still think it is Tara in the photo, but it does discredit it a little bit because in my mind, the photo was found in Florida, but his remains were found back closer to New Mexico. So yeah. that's weird that they would go one place and back and forth. But it is possible, I guess, that the photo was brought there or somebody had the photo that wasn't actually them. Like, it didn't have to be a victim or the person that actually did it. It could have just been an outside person that had gotten their hands on that photo and yeah. they are the ones that dropped it in Florida. Oh, that's true. I didn't think of that. Yeah, so it doesn't necessarily have to be someone directly involved. It could be someone indirectly devolved that was in Florida. So Yeah, so police were confused at first because they did not find Tara's remains. Um, so... They said it it threw off their behavioral pattern of the kidnapper, because if it was Tara in the photo, the abductor wanted her alive, so killing Michael and dumping his remains doesn't really match the profile of the napper. So Tara's disappearance had no real leads Mm. for 20 years until 2009. Isn't that crazy? Oh, okay. Yeah, so 20 years goes by, and in 2009, two separate letters were mailed to the Port St. Joe Police Department, which was the same neighborhood that the first Polaroid was discovered. One was mailed on June 10th, and the other was mailed on August 10th, so they were a month apart. Interestingly, both letters were mailed from Albuquerque, New Mexico, which was only 30 miles from where Tara disappeared. Mm -hmm. 
The the whole location thing is confusing me in this case. Very. It's weird that they're going back and forth. To the same New places. New Mexico and Florida are, are nowhere near each other. Yeah, it's, like, confusing. And it was the same, um, like I said, it was the same place that the Polaroid picture was found first. Yeah. Which is weird. So that makes it seem like the Polaroid was very purposeful, more than accidental. Yes. So the letters contained photos, one of a young boy with brown hair, and the creepiest part is that a black band was drawn over the boy's mouth in ink to replicate the photo taken 20 years earlier of Tara with the duct tape. Mm. So either way, like, the boy's identity was never confirmed, um, but either way, like, whoever that boy is, obviously, I'm assuming, unless it was just like a joke, I'm assuming he needs help too. Probably. Otherwise, it might have just been, I don't know, maybe a copycat yeah. or something like that. Yeah, uh, authorities strongly do believe, though, that this is related to the disappearance of Tara Calico. Yeah. Especially because it was 20 years after the incident, and it seems kind of like an anniversary celebration, mm. as messed up as that is to That's say. true. Um, now, the second letter contained just a regular image of the young boy with no ink drawings. The FBI took the letters in hopes of finding fingerprints or DNA evidence, but sadly nothing turned up. And also, it's insane to me, if, it's, if this is the same person, how do they just keep getting away with it with no DNA or anything? I know. For 20 years. Over 20 years, probably. Yeah, you would think on something would have turned up. The photo, these letters, the photos in these letters, I feel like something would have came up at some point. Yeah. So throughout the years, two other Polaroid pictures were also discovered, and many people believe that they are of Tara. Mm -hmm. Um, The first photo was found at a construction site in California, and it's of a young woman with tape over her mouth and a piece of fabric with a light blue stripe can be seen behind her, which many people noticed looked like the blue stripe on the pillow in the first photo that was found. Mm. Um, based on the film, authorities also believe that this was taken in June 1989, mm. which is a year after, again. Yeah. The second photo was taken on an Amtrak train and shows a young woman with bound hands and her eyes covered with gauze um, underneath her glasses. Next to her is a much older man, looking like he's enjoying watching her. It's kind of creepy. I'll show you it in a second. Um, authorities do believe that this was taken on February 1990, so it's all taken around the same time, mm-hmm. which is weird. Um, Tara's mother is certain that the first two photos are of her daughter, but she's unsure about the the third one because it's very hard to see the young woman's face. How is that done on an Amtrak? I know. Wait, I'll show like, you. in the public. Yeah, I don't know. So, you said that the mom genuinely believes that that first picture is her? Yeah, so the one of The them, first two. Yeah, the first two. The third one, she doesn't know because, like I said, it's hard to see. It is. The girl's looking up and her face is kind of covered. Mm-hmm. The second photo is hard, not the one with the gauze, is hard to tell because it's the lighting is so bright that it basically clears out and shines out any distinct facial features. So you could still see her eyes, you could still see her eyebrows and things like that, but I think that would be distinguishable and put her apart from just another girl. It kind of covers that up. Yeah. But again, I am kind of inclined to believe if a mom says that's 100% my daughter. The last picture, the part that's surprising to me is that they've never been able to identify the guy with her. I know. His face is just in it. Like, he's just chilling there. So in it. Like, there's no covering of him whatsoever. And on a train. How? On a public train. I don't... Unless you're in a private car, I don't know how you walk past that and not be a little suspicious of it. Yeah. (laughs) And it's also crazy to me that they were mailed on the 20 years anniversary, mm-hmm. but they were both taken the same year she, like, the mm-hmm. year after she went missing. So they've been saving it. That's scary. Even if it's not her, like, that's so scary. Mm-hmm. 
Because it could not be her, but it's just still people that want to mess with them, I guess. Which, that's just sadistic. Yeah. So that's, like, all the proof, I guess you can call it, that they Mm -hmm. had. So we're going to get into the theories of it, which is, I don't know. That's my conclusive (laughs) answer. But I'll give you some um, ideas. Mm Mm-hmm. So in 2008, Renee Rivera, the sheriff of Valencia County, received information from two teenagers, and they said that they had accidentally hit Tara Calico with a truck when she was riding her bike, and her injuries killed her. In her neighborhood, like in New Mexico. Okay. In a state of panic, the boys covered up her death and disposed of her body. Uh, and they also knew Tara. It's not like they were strangers. Like, mm-hmm. they probably went to school with her, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Their identities were not released, though, I'm assuming, because they were younger. Yeah. Renee Rivera is certain that this is what happened. However, a body was never recovered, and with the photos that circulated shortly after Tara's disappearance, this case seems to be more like a kidnapping than two teenagers just killing and disposing of her without ever being caught. Did the two teenagers admit that they did that? They said that, yeah. I don't I know I feel why. like they would have, if they were willing to say that they did that, they would have disclosed where they put the body. Yeah. If you're going to reveal that much, you might as well tell them where you put the body. Yeah. And the fact that her body's never been found, that kind of discredit. I mean, I guess it doesn't completely discredit it, because if somebody's just completely outright confessing to it, there has to be some credence to it, but... The fact that the body isn't found kind of... Yeah, they never found her body. Yeah, that's weird to me that if you're going to reveal so much, you might as well reveal the whole thing. Now, Tara's stepdad, John, he was very bothered by Renee Rivera's certainty about the two teenage boys theory, um, and he felt like Rivera should not have spoken so confidently about this theory if they were never going to, you know, find enough evidence to arrest or convict the boys. Yeah. Interestingly, somebody that um, Tara had went to school with named Melinda Escobol... Um, she had actually started a podcast about her, mm. and the podcast name, which I will link, um, the, the episodes are really short, like 10 minutes. She basically just gives updates on what's happening with the case. Mm. So it's actually called Vanished, the Investigation of Tara Calico. So I'll definitely link that in the description box. So Tara had been very nice and welcoming to Melinda all throughout high school, and she wants to keep her name alive. She says that everyone in their high school knew Tara had been killed by the boys. So she, she's on the theory with the two teenage boys. Mm. But since they were connected to law enforcement in the area, there was a giant cover-up, again, of her murder. So, like I said, um, she is convinced that it's a police cover-up. I also think it might be, but I think it might be, instead of the two teenage boys, it might have been the sheriff's son that did it. I would agree. Because, but also, if two teenage boys kill somebody, it's gonna get out there. It's not gonna be kept in the entire high school knows about it. Yeah. But nobody outside knows about it? That's weird. I think maybe... The police, I don't want to say the police made the teenage boys come out and say something, but since it's a minor, (laughs) they don't have to identify them. Yeah. So if they say, oh, a minor hit her, then they don't have to release the identities and it's easier to cover up. Wait, I just have a question in general. Um, So if if they killed her and they were, I don't know, like 15, 16, 17, like minors, Mm -hmm. their names obviously wouldn't be released, but what... Like, 20 years from now, let's say? I don't think Once they're adults, they can't, right? I still don't think it does, because technically, when they were tried... That makes sense. And if they weren't convicted as adults, then they were minors when they got convicted. Yeah, that's crazy, though. Because you can be a minor and still convicted as an adult. Yeah. But if they would have been convicted as minors, then... But... Even if everyone believes that it was these two teenage boys, something would have happened, some kind of law them going to court would have happened but I know. if that never happened 
then it just seems like a story. It seems like a story to me, too, but also somebody that, like, knew her, like, made a whole podcast about it, which is crazy to me. Like, they really firmly believe this. I mean, it might be that. Does the people in the high school know who it is? Yeah, I believe they all know who it is. They just aren't saying it. I find that too hard to I find it hard. There's no way. Especially high school age people, they talk so much. That's all about gossip. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me. Me neither. So the next theory we have is human trafficking. Unfortunately, human trafficking is very popular. And if Tara is in those photos, um, human trafficking, especially sex trafficking, could explain why her abductor did not kill her because he's obviously going to sell her. Yeah. Um, If that's her in the photos, I think 100% that's what happened. I think so, too. That was, like, what I'm leaning towards. Uh, I'm leaning towards all of them, though. Yeah, every time we say something, I'm like, no, yeah, I believe that. (laughs) Um, It could also account for the older man in the photo uh, and the woman who looks like Tara being bound and gagged. Mm -hmm. She was also at, uh, it's kind of sad to say, but, like, she was also at, like, a prime age for human trafficking um, to make the most money on her. Mm -hmm. So it does make sense to me. And then the last theory, which is what we're all waiting for, <laughs> just is no, it's just the one that <laughs> Lawrence Romero Jr., um, whose father was the sheriff of Valencia oh, yeah, County yeah, Police yeah, Department. Yeah. <laughs> so this is likely a police cover-up, especially because all the eyewitness testimonies line up with the, what the guy looks like. There's no way that guy was not involved in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. I still think it has something to do with the guys in the truck. I think so too. Oh yeah, those guys too. It has to be them. It feels like a whole ring. But he wasn't one of those guys, though. The son of the sheriff. He wasn't, he wasn't one, of the, one of the three people. He wasn't one of the three people in the truck. However, I think it still could have been, like, a weird ring going on with all of them involved. Yeah. Because if it's sex trafficking, that's the odds of that being one individual doing never all is. of that. Yeah, it's never not. is. And I don't know. The camper on the back seems convenient. The When they were describing what was in the camper, that seems weird. I, I don't know. The khakis part? Yeah, why is there random clothes back there? It kind of seems like there's random clothes ready to change somebody out of the clothes that they were kidnapped in. I mean, that's me looking really deep into it because no, it makes a sense, lot though. of people just have spare clothes on them, but what are the odds you have six khakis? Like, nobody wears <laughs> khakis. Yeah. So the truck seems so fishy to me that I, I can't imagine them not being involved somehow. I know. All of them make sense to me, though. All the theories. It's weird. And the police's son. Yeah. I mean, to a T, that guy matches the description of two separate people. Mm-hmm. It's not like one person said, oh, red hair, like, he looks like him, he has the scar. It's two people that backed that up. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, what makes me more inclined to believe this theory is that the police neglected to follow up with all the eyewitnesses. Yeah. Despite them being able to pick out Lawrence Romero Jr. from the photo lineup. Mm-hmm. They didn't follow up with them until a year later, at least. So, I mean, it is sketchy. Um, Lawrence was also a drug dealer who hung out with problematic people. And he had a crush on Tara for the longest time. See. <laughs> yeah. So, Lawrence had asked her out on many dates and tried to make advances on her. And she would always politely turn him down because she didn't want to make it weird, I guess. Yeah. But this, this is concerning. He could have just been angry one mm-hmm. day and went to hurt her. And while drinking one night, the subject of Tara's disappearance came up, and somebody that was there, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's just word of mouth, it's not proven, yeah. but they said that, they claim that Lawrence said that he and his friends, named Dave Silva and Leroy Chavez, uh-huh. um, followed Tara for a while, purposely hit her with their truck to make her fall, and then grabbed her and took her away. 
Um, then they repeatedly raped her, and when she said that, that she would tell on them, they stabbed her with a knife and killed her. However, despite this obvious, sounds like evidence to me, um, nobody has ever gotten in trouble for the crime, and also they never found her body, which is weird. Uh, see, and that story backs up the story that everyone believes that two teenagers hit her with a car. I know. So, it seems to me <laughs> that that part of it did happen. I Maybe somebody really genuinely did hit her with a car. Yeah. And, oh, but it was them? And they're coming And it up. was them. Mm. And they're just saying, oh, well, it was two minors that happened to hit them with a the car. Well, yeah, it was two minors that are friends with your son, and your son was probably in the truck with these two minors. True. And then And he probably they was trying to her. hurt her because yeah. she rejected him. Yeah, and so they took her into the truck, and from there, I don't know what happened. But, like, I do... That does kind of give credence to why so many people in the high school school might believe the story of these two people hit the truck because maybe they genuinely did but they're just saying that okay well we killed her and we felt bad so we buried her blah 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 but it's weird to me they never found her bike or her body they might have taken the bike no i know but like eventually found it i know but the law enforcement was covering it up anyway so yeah it's not like they would say they found it yeah it's weird though the whole department though i feel like just his i don't know i feel like just his father would be like defending him no yeah but it's like a cult. I I don't know. I don't know how yeah. small the department is. I don't know how close they are with each other. I don't know any of that stuff. So yeah, if they're like that, then they might be willing to cover something up like that. Maybe even if it's not a cover up, I just I do I do like I think that somebody the two people well I guess the two people and the son I really think the son has to be involved somehow because there's no way the two witnesses describe the same exact person. So, I think they did hit her with a car. I think they did take her into the van and probably did terrible things. But if those are her in the photos, then they might have given her off to somebody else. That's true. Instead it of killing been, her. Maybe that's why everything makes sense. It could have been parts of They might have given true. him to the people in the truck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we're, <laughs> we're solving the case right now. They might have given him to the people in the truck, and that's why yeah. the truck is creeping me out. Because maybe... So all of the, it's possible that all of these theories, like all of them could have simultaneously happened. That's crazy. Yeah. And then that's why the photos are from like, if the mom, yeah, if they're from the same year, it happened around the same time, possibly with the people from those truck. That's creepy. Yeah. So unfortunately nobody ever got in trouble for it because Lawrence died a few years ago from a gunshot wound Mm. to the head is either suicide or people who were friends with him said that they were very drunk and playing Russian roulette. So he could have just shot himself. Um, but either way, he's never going to get punished for it if it is him, which is so frustrating. Mm. Um, and what makes me even more sad is that her mother passed away um, without ever knowing what happened. So there's no closure for the family. It, it's so sad, though, now, though, because if she died, I feel like she was probably the one that was the most we got to figure out what yeah, happened. Definitely. And you said the witness had died, too, right? Yeah. So that's all the people that were really, we need to know what happened to her, would have died by now. So a lot of the motivation to keep the case open has probably died down with them. Yeah, but you'd think, but luckily... good. So as of 2020, this is still an active missing persons case. Mm -hmm. um, And obviously nobody has been arrested yet. However, on October 1st, 2019, it's only last Mm. year. Oh, last year to this day! It's October 1st. Wild. (laughs) 
So the FBI announced that they are offering a reward of up to $20,000 for precise details leading to the identification or location of Tara Calico and information leading to the arrest and conviction of those responsible for her disappearance. Mm. So $20,000, because it's just this department trying to cover it up. The FBI actually wants to find out what happened. Yeah. So hopefully, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Hopefully somebody comes forward. Um, And if you guys have any information regarding this case, I'll link it in the description um, where you can call. That's good that the FBI is still looking into it. And I mean, the FBI might still be looking into it because they might believe that it is that police department is corrupt. So at the same time that they want to find Tara, they might be wanting to shut down this department that might be hiding stuff like that. And if they're willing to do it once, they'll do it again. Hey, Queens, welcome back to this half dose of deception. So I'm going to say what my theory is first, and then I'm going to give a little disclaimer about it. So... I'm going to be talking about Mary Magdalene today and the possible role that she had in Jesus's life and the possibility that she might have been romantically involved with Jesus or his wife. Okay. So Wait, his wife? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> so I'm going to say this disclaimer a little bit because I know there might be some people that get a little sensitive about talking about religion whether it be like blasphemy or whatever. There is people that would be sensitive to hearing this kind of topic though. So I'm just going to say you're allowed to not like my opinion. (laughs) You're allowed to not believe any theory that I say. And if you hate this theory, I'm not trying to say anything against Catholicism or anything like that. I just think it's something that I've been interested in. I was raised Catholic. So it's something that I heard a lot about when I was younger. So I'm not saying necessarily that I believe the conspiracy theories about it but it's just something that i want to talk about and if it's something that it's not meant to be offensive in any way it's just me talking about this theory and it's a very popular one and one that's very relevant in pop culture whether it be through movies uh documentaries things like that so i thought it was worth mentioning so i don't mean it as anything against catholicism it's just me wanting to talk about a theory that I like. Yeah, and I'm coming to you with a blank slate, because I don't know who Mary Magdalene is. <laughs> I know who Jesus is. But, um, so yeah, I'm coming to you, like, very excited to hear the theory. So, before I get into the theories about her role in Jesus' ministry, I'm going to talk a little bit about her first. So, besides the members of Jesus' confirmed family, family, such as Mary, Joseph, people like that, Mary Magdalene is the most mentioned woman in the books of the gospel. Okay. So, Matthew, Mark, Luca, John. (laughs) In case you don't know. So, her name is Mary, but uh, Magdalene is not actually her official last name. Uh, It's more of a derivative of where she comes from. She was coming from a fishing town known as Magdala, which was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is in present-day Israel. Yeah. So her last name might not actually be Magdalene, but they use that to identify her because Mary at this time period, or at least they make it in the Bible at this time period, that Mary was the most popular women name by far. So they kind of used her location to distinguish her from the rest of the Marys in the Bible (laughs) because Mary is the most common woman name, especially in the New Testament. There's a million of them. Okay. So that's where her name comes from. So... The recognized books in the Bible do not give much credit to the idea that Mary Magdalene was anything other than a devoted follower of Jesus. Uh, All of the other books have credited with her at being at the crucifixion. So she was present. Every book in the Bible credit her with being at that. 
the Gospel of Luke is the gospel that makes mention of her more than just at the crucifixion. At a part in the Gospel of Luke, when speaking of Jesus going around and preaching, it was stated that, this is the direct quote from the Gospel, the twelve were with him, the twelve apostles, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So, Like an exorcism? Possibly. Okay. So, at the time, demons were often believed to be the reason behind illnesses, uh, whether physically or psychologically, and just general misfortune that happened to a person. So the interpretation might not be taken literally, especially because the story of her possible exorcisms are not mentioned in detail. Because whenever other people were said to have demons in them, the devil come out of them, anything like that, the Bible liked to graphically describe the exorcisms and make a whole story about it. So the fact that they don't do that for Mary kind of make it not as literal of a translation. This is like off topic, but do they still do exorcisms? 100%. Do you believe like it's genuine? Most of the time, no. I do kind of believe in spirits and ghosts and that kind of thing. I don't know if I necessarily believe like in the devil coming and like taking over a person. I believe in spirits and stuff. I think the thing that makes me icky on exorcisms and things like that is because so much of it is monetized and used as publicity, Yeah. whether it's like a TV evangelist or something like that. So I think there might be some legitimacy to it, but it's so blown out of proportion and acted and faked so much that it kind of makes me not believe it that much. Yeah, I agree. But I think there is something to the bad spirits kind of thing. So anyway, (laughs) Uh, although not mentioned often, being mentioned at all, especially as a woman, when compared to how many followers Jesus had is significant because Jesus would have had thousands and thousands and thousands of people following him. Mm -hmm. So being mentioned by name at all is something significant, but being mentioned as a woman amongst those thousands was even harder to do. So we know for certain she played a significant role in his ministry because she would not have been mentioned at all if she wasn't. It's also worth mentioning that Mary likely supported Jesus financially. So there are several instances of women being the financial supporters behind Jesus. Uh, A lot of the women, it was the case of their husbands financially supporting him. But the town where she's believed to be from, Magdala, was a very wealthy fishing town. And it is mentioned in the scripture that Mary gave to Jesus's ministry through her resources. Okay. So, odds are, she probably came from a wealthy family kind of situation, and I wouldn't, maybe not gave all of it up, but, like, took her inheritance and then, like, followed him instead and, like, supported him, you know? So, I think that's worth mentioning, too, because I feel like at that time, there was, women weren't, didn't have any money at all. So, I think it's interesting that a lot of his ministry would have been supported by women. So... Also, besides being at his crucifixion, Mary is one of the first of a group of women that realized he was resurrected. So if you don't know the story about that, it's different according to which gospel you look at. The most popular one that people know about is a group of women went to his tomb, realized that it was empty. An angel appeared to them, told them Jesus was resurrected, and they went and told the other apostles. Obviously, is this for sure happening? No, but like this is just what the gospel says. Yeah. And like I said before, even if 
100% you don't believe this happened. The fact that she's mentioned so often at least proves that she was around because she would not have been mentioned this often in all of the different Gospels mm -hmm. if there wasn't some validity to it. Also, if this story was being made up by people, I mean, all the people that wrote these Gospels and the scriptures were male. So 100%, if the story of women finding the tomb empty wasn't historically accurate and was just a made-up story, the people that were writing the Gospels would have pretended that it was one of his male apostles that found them because, God forbid, yeah. we give any credit to a woman doing that. Mm -hmm. They would have picked Peter, who was, like, his closest apostle. So that's why, historically, it is believed, whether you think he resurrected or not, that she's the one that would have gone and discovered things. If it happened or not, she was the one that would have went. So that's her background. So before I get into the theory of her as his wife, I'm going to get into the theory that was pushed by the church for hundreds and hundreds of years, which was that she was a prostitute. So... This was done in order to invalidate her importance to Jesus and the religion as a whole, because, again, God forbid, we have a woman in a leadership role. It is worth mentioning that religions such as Protestants, Lutherans, uh, religions, Eastern Orthodox, were not the ones that were pushing this idea. It was Catholicism. The Those other religions, the more Eastern religions, widely, I would say, more respected her role in his ministry, and some of them even state her as the most important apostle that there was. So I'm speaking specifically on, like, the Catholic Church okay. when I'm saying that they pushed the idea that she was a prostitute. Okay. So, throughout the New Testament, there are many examples of Jesus trusting women and having them heavily involved in his work. Although it is very highly unlikely that he would have advocated for complete equality, I mean, all of his apostles, who are seen as his closest people, were all 12 of them were men, he did lean towards more equality than most during his time period. Mm. However, early leaders in the Catholic Church looked to have followers look down on the importance of women in scriptures and to look at them as sinners so that when they were establishing the church, there wouldn't be any women looking that. to take leadership roles. I hate that. 100%. So that's why they pushed the idea that she was supposed to be seen as sinful and was, like, Stupid. saved by Jesus. Oh, I hate that. Rather than her just being an important disciple, which, again, historically is the one that is much more likely scenario. That's making me mad. Oh, 100%. <laughs> it's, it's super frustrating, and it's frustrating because it's so clearly... It's so obvious what they were trying to do that yeah. it's annoying. <laughs> so wait, are women allowed to be priests now? No. Still? No. Not even now? No. That's insane. At least, again, I'm in yeah, I'm the Catholic the Cat Church. Wow. There are a lot of Christian churches that allow yeah. women to either be priests or, you know, some people don't call them priests, but, you know, in their religion, like, the people that would celebrate their ceremonies a good chunk of christian churches allow you to do that hmm. i'm talking just yeah catholicism that's frustrating yeah so and i mean it really is an after effect of this because this was done in order to keep that going in the future hmm. so this was done early so the making mary magdalene look like a sinner was done very early on by connecting mary magdalene to an unnamed woman that washed jesus's feet as a sign of repentance in a different gospel, and another Mary, known as Mary of Bethany, who comes up two separate times in the gospels. 
So those other two Marys were seen as sinners or people that needed repentance. So several early popes reinforced the idea of this, specifically Pope Gregory I. So Pope Gregory I said a sermon very early on in the Catholic faith that said all three of those Marys are the same Mary. So when we speak of Mary Magdalene, we're also speaking about the Mary that had to wash Jesus's feet. We're also speaking about Mary of Bethany who had to also seek repentance because she was seen as a sinner and things like that. So he connected all of them so that Mary Magdalene looked worse okay. than she was. Okay. And that sermon, since he was Pope, the Pope basically has the final say, be all and end all on what Catholics are supposed to believe, especially that early on. So for centuries, that became 100% the truth because he said it. Mm-hmm. So he also used to emphasize the passage about her having the demons ejected out of her just to emphasize that there was an exorcism because she was a sinner and all that kind of stuff. So the early church leaders really diminished her role as a leader in an efforts to show the impossibility that a woman could be a leader in the church. So <laughs> this is the more fun theory okay. that I kind of believe. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I think she had an, a lot more of an important role than people think she did. I think she was just as important as the apostles at the minimum. But I also think that they had, whether they were married or not, I don't know, but I think they had, something going on (laughs) do they have kids well there is a theory that they did um i'll get into it a little bit later because it comes up a lot in pop culture and a lot of people like to think well if they were married then they had kids but a, a lot of people at least look at them being married whether they had kids or not who knows but people do look at them as being married so although mary is never mentioned as his wife in official transcripts that are like approved of by the church however there are a lot of scriptures that are have been found and have been written that aren't officially recognized but have basically just as much credence as the official ones do because obviously again the early church is just nitpicking and handpicking what they want right yeah so The most concrete evidence of Mary being his wife is in the Gnostic Gospels, which is a group of texts that was not discovered until 1945 in Egypt. Although mentioned... 1945 is late. Yeah. A lot of these things that have been found are very, very late. Mm -hmm. Especially the ones that aren't approved because, you know, the Catholic Church was founded a really long time ago. So if they come out later, they're not going to want to put them in the Bible now, you know? So... Although mentioned multiple times in these texts, the most prominent example of Mary's importance is in the Gospel of Philip, which stated that Mary Magdalene was Jesus's favorite disciple and labeled her as his companion. Hmm. And a quote from this gospel is that Jesus and Mary Magdalene kissed often on her and then the page is ripped and damaged so no one knows what it actually says. But, like, the widely believed one is that it was going to say mouth if it yeah. wasn't damaged. Yeah. So, although this is not an officially recognized one by the gospel, there is this quote saying that they kissed often, that they were companions, and that Mary Magdalene was basically Jesus's favorite person. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Gospel of Mary is a text discovered in 1896, also discovered in Egypt, that may be told through the point of view of Mary Magdalene herself. So a direct quote from this is, 
Surely the Savior knows her very well. That is why he loved her more than any of us. Which is what Peter said in the quote. Um, So then Peter said, we know that the Savior loved you more than the rest of the women. (laughs) Is another quote from the Gospel of Mary. Now the Gospel of Mary, some people say that it might be a different Mary, just because, again, there's so many Marys in the Bible, but, I mean, in the officially recognized Gospels, Mary Magdalene is seen as such importance, and, like, one of his most trusted disciples, that what are the odds that they're talking about a different Mary? Yeah. So, this is the apostles in the Gospel of Mary literally validate that Jesus liked her more than his actual apostles. So... The most recent developments on this actually happened as recently as 2012, in which Karen L. King, who is an historian of early Christianity at Harvard Divinity School, (laughs) who released a previously unseen papyrus (laughs) that quoted Jesus using the phrase, my wife, when speaking about Mary Magdalene, Mm -hmm. which is literally just, he's written it out, (laughs) my wife, (laughs) um, Of course, this was not written by Jesus himself. It would have been written as a gospel speaking about Jesus centuries later. And uh, King herself has said that it is a possibility that it was forged. However, there is some credibility to it. And if it was written by someone that wrote a gospel, they're literally saying that Mary Magdalene is his wife. Also, it is worth mentioning that in the official recognized Bible that basically any other woman that is mentioned it is also mentioned who their husband is because they're just so attached to who your husband is at that time yeah mary magdalene is never mentioned of having a husband in any recognized text it never says that she was married to someone never says that she was with anyone else was financially with anyone else so and she's one of very very few women that their husband is never mentioned which convenient (laughs) (laughs) so That's basically the evidence for her being his wife. Now, I'm just going to say, if you're not familiar with Mary Magdalene, she, I would honestly say, at least in the New Testament, besides Mary, like, his mother, is the most prominent woman. And most people would see Jesus as being priest-like and not being with anyone and having a wife doing anything like that Mm -hmm. so it's and i think the church would like you to think that he wasn't that human like yeah but like just human nature exactly so i think it's just super interesting that this idea has been pushed and pushed and pushed that jesus wouldn't ever do something like that and there's a decent amount of evidence that said he would have so i also just want to we mentioned this before but the both reasons of her being his wife rather than his uh, apostle or her being a prostitute and quote-unquote sinner are were used to not allow female priests and to this day that's used as the excuse because when you were to ask someone why can't there be female priests people will point to well jesus's apostles were males so we're just following jesus's lead in what he did Wait, I have a question. Yeah. Do you think, or do you know, there's a lot of writings done by women that are just, um, like, in this kind of stuff. Yes. That are just um, labeled that it was a man that wrote it? Uh, I don't know 100% if there's 
maybe Bible scriptures or something like that that were written by a woman and they're pretending it's written by a man. But there are a hundred percent scriptures that are written by women that are conveniently not in the official Bible. Yeah. I mean, the official Bible was put together a long, long, long time ago. And like I said, some of these scriptures were found much later on, but things can get edited. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No matter how old it is. So I think there's a, a lot of scriptures and stories even in the scriptures and the texts that are proved to be in the Bible, they can take out verses and specific things that they didn't think fit their agenda at the time to not include it. So that's that on the evidence. It's also worth mentioning that this theory is so popular because in pop culture, the idea that Mary Magdalene was married to Jesus and had kids with Jesus is super popular. The Da Vinci Code is a book and a movie that... I mean, I'm not going to get into the details of the plot, but it's basically Jesus and Mary Magdalene had kids, and now they have, like, descendants. Is it? I've never seen that. It's good. Is it, like, (laughs) has um, Tom Hanks in it. (laughs) Tom Hanks. What is, like, the setting like? I mean, it's set in modern times. Okay, it is modern times. Yeah, it's set in modern times, and it's, like, the girl is a descendant of them. Okay. Now. Okay. So, that was that super, super popular movie and book. The Last Temptation of Christ, which is a Scorsese movie, it uses that idea that Mary Magdalene and Jesus were together. Um, and there's people that claim that they are descendants of Mary Magdalene and Jesus. That mm-hmm. I mean, they're probably not. But, like, you know, a lot of people latch onto this theory a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, that's pretty much it on it. And I think... I just think whether... You think that she was married to him or not. I think that she deserves a little bit more respect. I think so too. (laughs) Because honestly, by the way, a lot of the gospels talk, she was his favorite person. (laughs) Or she was at least a extremely devoted disciple. And I think that some of the other religions should take the lead of the religions that view her as an important apostle and not just someone that followed him or was a sinner that needed his help. Yeah. All right, and that's all we have for you this week, folks. Catch us every week for Freaky Friday with the Queens of Queens. Bye, Queens.